Welcome to the Urban Church Podcast. If you would like more information about Urban, please visit our website at lifeaturban.com. Thanks for listening, and we hope you enjoy. Uh, Turn your Bibles with me, if you have them, uh, to John chapter 19. And when you're there, say, I'm there. There? All right. John chapter 19, verses 28 through 30. I'll go ahead and start reading it for you. Later, knowing that it... it, Knowing that all was now completed, and so that the scripture would be fulfilled, Jesus said, I am thirsty. A jar of wine vinegar was there, so they soaked a sponge in it, and they put the sponge on a stalk of the hyssop plant and lifted it to Jesus' lips. When he had received the drink, Jesus said, it is finished. With that, he bowed his head and gave up his spirit. Now turn with me to Philippians chapter 1. When you're there, say, I'm there. Chapter 1, verse 6, being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Jesus Christ. I love the message version of this scripture. It says, there's never been the slightest doubt in my mind that the God who started this great work in you would keep it and bring it to a flourishing finish on the very day Jesus Christ appears. A flourishing finish. Would you pray with me? Heavenly Father, we thank you for your word this morning. God, I thank you that you're going to speak through me. God, I thank you that there was going to be more of you and less of me. And God, we pray that your spirit, Lord, and your presence would be here with us. You would lead us, you would guide us, and you would teach us today. In Jesus' name, amen. If you're into titles or you're taking notes this morning, it's entitled, It is Finished. It is Finished. We're focusing on the last words of Jesus when he died on the cross. I'm going to share with you a little of my testimony as well. I was sharing it a couple times uh, the past few weeks. I've actually had the opportunity to share with a few ladies my, my story. And, and as soon as I, I shared with them my story, uh, the same thing happened every time. As they begin to start to open up about things that they've been through. And they begin to open up about some struggles that they've had and some things that they've done that they're ashamed of. And they never felt the confidence to do that until the moment that I shared with them, hey, I'm not perfect. And a lot of times I think that we come to to church and the enemy lies to us a little bit. And he says, don't tell them about your divorce. Don't tell them about your struggle. Don't tell them about your sin. Don't tell them about your debt. Don't tell them about the things that you've walked through because they're all perfect and they have it all together. How many of you know that's a lie from the enemy? And you come to a very real church this morning. Our pastors are very real and they're very honest with you about things that they've been through in the past and struggles that they walk through. But how many of you know that creates a culture of vulnerability? That creates a culture where we feel comfortable being real and coming to church and be able to share our struggles and get prayer and receive prayer and receive healing. I don't know about you, but I don't think I would feel confident coming to a church where I felt like I had to be perfect, where I felt like everything in my life had to be put together before I could worship God or before I could enter into his presence. That is one of the greatest lies of the enemy that keeps people from church, is that I have to get it all together first, and then I can go to Jesus. But how many of you know you can come to Jesus, and you might not have it all together, but then he fixes you. Just as you are, he takes you in, and then he changes you. Slowly and slowly, one step at a time, he begins to transform you, making him into, into him, his image. I uh, was not raised in a Christian home, as most of these women assumed that I was or assumed that I was a pastor's kid. I was actually the complete opposite. I came from a very broken home. My parents were divorced when I was about eight or nine years old. And my mom, before that, 
she was a great mom. She had a great job, and we had a great relationship. But as soon as she got that divorce, there was something inside of her that clicked. How many of you know people that have been through hardships, and once they face that hardship, they just give up? How many of you have ever, have ever had somebody in your fr- family or maybe a, a close friend, and they face something difficult, and you saw something inside of them change at that moment? They gave up. And my mom quit her job, which was not like her. She began to, to do drugs, which was not like her. And she began to, to sleep until 5 in the evening. And she began to go out to the bars in the evening and leave me alone with my, my little sister. And she began to become this person that I never thought that she would be. And I missed that relationship that we had so much that at the age of 13, I thought, how could I get that back? How could I, I find that common ground with her again? And I thought, well, maybe if I did drugs and maybe if I started down this path that she would accept me and we would have a common ground again. So at the age of 13, I did almost every drug imaginable. And here I am, this little girl, and all I want is the approval of my mom. All I want is for her to be proud of me. All I want is for the approval of my parents. And I just want to have that common ground with her again. I want to have that mother and daughter relationship with her again. And so I began to seek it and all the wrong things and And after a while, it got very tiring. And I realized that that was not a path that was going to take me anywhere. And if I wanted to end up anything anything like my parents, I could continue down that path. But if I wanted to end up more successful, then I'd have to start changing some things. It must have been the wisdom and the grace of God at that moment that that decided that something was going to rise up inside of me and change. But I decided once I got to high school that I was going to start to get good grades. I was going to start to try a little more. I was going to start to hang out with a little bit of a different crowd that would be a better influence on me. I wasn't going to do the drugs anymore. I wasn't going to do the alcohol anymore. I wasn't going to do any of those things. And it created more of a rift between my mom and I than there ever was before. Because now we really didn't have any common ground. And I think there's enough drama when you're a teenager with your mom as it is. Fighting over hair products and fighting over makeup and fighting over whatever there is to fight over when you're a teenager. And so to add all the stress of the domestic abuse that was going on at the home and the insecurity that I had because we were so poor, I only had a couple different outfits and they both smelled like smoke. When I was walking to school every day, not really having very many friends, not really having a a support system, not really feeling like I fit in anywhere. So to add all that unnecessary stress and drama to the situation, here I found myself just seeking that that attention and that affirmation from, from boys at the time or seeking it in all the wrong places. Although I was doing well in school, there came a point where I thought, I can't have anyone over. I'm embarrassed about where I'm from. There's drama and strife constantly in the home and calling the cops constantly because there's domestic abuse going on. It wasn't a place I could study. It wasn't a place I could thrive. And so one day when I was 14 years old, I ran away. And I ran to my best friend's house at the time. And I still keep in touch with them to this day. They hung stockings up for me at Christmas time. And she was the one who went with me when I had to dig all my stuff out of the garbage can because my mom had thrown it in the garbage can. I still call her mom. She's a second mom to me. I'm so grateful for the investment that she made when I was such a young, uh, lost little girl. So I lived with them for a short time, and then I moved up with my dad in Vancouver, Washington. And uh, when I was living with him, I kept in touch with my mom a little bit. And uh, I knew that she was still on the drugs. And I got a call on Friday. And it was about a week before my 17th birthday. And I got a call saying that she was missing. And they didn't know where she was. And at the time, I thought, well, maybe she just 
decided that she would take a weekend break. Maybe she got sick of her boyfriend at the time. Maybe she just went away and, and wanted to just escape from life. I really didn't think anything of it until Monday morning. And on my grandmother's answering machine, there was a message from her. And it said, I've been kidnapped. And this is the hotel that he has me at. And he's burning me with acid. And I need you to call the police right away. And so the police went, and they found them at a nearby gas station. And the man that had her was a meth dealer. His name was Lee. I remember seeing him around a few times. He's a very tall man, bald, big eyes, very intimidating, very gruff looking. And he developed an infatuation with my mom, an obsession with her. And when she said no and when she rejected him and said that she didn't want to have that, that sort of relationship, he became obsessed. And he began to get twisted. And she uh, filed a restraining order against him. I didn't find this out until afterwards. She filed a restraining order, but that didn't stop him. And so he had her in the Jeep, and they were at the gas station, and the police saw them. The police understood that that was him and turned on the lights, and he decided he would jump in the car and just speed off with my mom in the car. He also had a gun in the car. They were going about 80, 90 miles an hour at that time. And to this day, the police don't know if she jumped out or if she fell out or maybe if she was pushed out. But she hit her head on the back tire that day, and she died in surgery. And about a few days after that happened, I was sitting at the kitchen table at my dad's house. And it was really the first time that I'd ever prayed to God. I mean, I had prayed at Thanksgiving. I had prayed at Christmas, the, you know, the standard prayers. But this was a sincere, the bottom of my heart heartfelt prayer. How many of you know there is power in a heartfelt prayer? There's power in the sincerity of our hearts. And I just said, God, I don't know if you're real. And I don't know if everything's going to be okay. But would you show me if you're real? Would you show me if everything is going to be okay? And it was at that very moment that my dad decided to walk in with this card. And it was a pink card and it had no return address on it. He couldn't have known who it was from. I'm kind of hiding my tears as I'm sitting at the kitchen table. And he, he plops the card down on the table and just says, here, I apologize, I forgot to give that to you. It's been at the office for quite some time. So it was about a month and a half that it had been the office, and at that very moment he decided to give it to me, and it was a Valentine's card from my mom. And it said, I know we don't always see things eye to eye, but we always see them heart to heart, and I'll always love you, and I'm so proud of you, my little lamb. The very thing that, that I had sought for in every different way, for my mom to be proud of me. God reminded me at that moment she was proud of me. I had a moment where I thought it was finished. And we all know that Jesus, when he died on the cross, he said it was finished. When I, when I had that moment where I thought my dream of having a family, my dream of having that mother and daughter relationship, all of that was over. And just processing that. And I believe that I had an opportunity to choose whether it was finished or I was finished. And I believe that's the mistake that my mom made that day when she got a divorce, is that she confused it was finished was that she was finished. She thought that it was finished meant that she was finished. And she began to give up on herself, give up on her dreams, give up on the potential that God had put inside of her. 
And I believe at that moment I had an opportunity. I could learn from my mom's mistakes. At that moment, I could choose not to let the hardship of life bring me down, but I could let the hardship of life take me to a new level and a new beginning. And although I didn't follow God from that moment, it took me a process. It took me some time to begin to have people, the right people in my life, to show me the Bible, to show me the, the, the way to, to bring me into a church and to teach me about the things that I needed to know. I believe that was the beginning of the first seed that was planted in me, that God was real, that he cared about me, that he had a future and a hope for me. And that he cared enough about me in the moment that I needed him the most, that he showed up. In the moment that I prayed that heartfelt, that sincere prayer, that I needed him the most, he showed up. You see, when Jesus died on the cross, how many of you know he didn't give up his spirit? He gave up his spirit. We don't give up our dream. We give up our dream. It was finished, but he was not finished. He had a work that God had sent for him to do. And how many of you know he rose again on the third day? He was resurrected. God began to do a great work through him. It was finished on the cross, but he was not finished. He began to rise up and begin to appear to the believers. Jesus started getting 007, okay? He is such a cool God because he started appearing to the believers, and he started walking with them, and he was talking with them. He blinded their eyes for a moment that they couldn't see that it was Jesus. And he walked with them, and they said, hey, come eat with us. It sounds like you have a lot of wisdom. So they wanted to learn from him a little more. And so they sat with him, and they were talking about Jesus and how he died and all these things. And then all of a sudden at the moment, he just, he let them see him. He spiritually opened their eyes and let them see that it was Jesus all along that they were talking to. And then he disappears right there in that moment, just dissolves. How, how cool is that? I mean, that's pretty stinking amazing. Okay, then he starts appearing to the believers out of nowhere. I don't know if they were at a prayer meeting or if they were breaking bread together, but all the believers were gathered together. Maybe they were mourning the death of Jesus, and all of a sudden he shows up. I don't know if you walked to the wall or he just appeared, but he said, peace be with you. How many of you know that would be pretty trippy if you lost a loved one, and a few days later he was like, just showed up. Peace be with you. He was just amazing. He wasn't finished with the work that God sent for him to start. And then how many of you know he sent his Holy Spirit? Wow, that's strange. Excuse me. It is not finished. <laughs> I love Philippians 1.6. It says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He who started that work in you will be faithful to complete it. In the message version, it says he wants to bring it to a flourishing finish. You know, he cares about your dream more than you care about your dream. He cares about your future more than you care about your future. He cares about the hope that, that's put inside of your heart more than you care about that hope. Man thought that it was the end of a destiny when Jesus was on the cross and he said those words. God knew it was the completion of one. You know, the scriptures all pointed in the Old Testament to this king that was coming. And so it was more than just them losing Jesus as a son or as the, the, the teacher that he was or the rabbi that he was. It was more than just that. But I believe in that moment it was the death of a dream for that nation. Because all these scriptures had pointed to this one who was coming, and they thought that he was going to deliver the Jews from Rome's oppression, and they thought that he was going to be the one to create this big political overthrow, and that he was going to be their, be their savior. But they, they didn't think on a higher level. They were just thinking on a smaller level. Jesus was thinking on a much bigger level. They were thinking he was going to be the king of a nation. He was thinking he was going to be the king of all kings, the Lord of all lords, the name above every name. They were thinking that 
a political overthrow was going to take place. And so to them, when he said, it is finished, to them, that was the death of a dream. All these scriptures, what happened to the king? What happened to the Messiah? What happened to, to our dream? What happened to the political overthrow? How many of you know he wasn't there to make a political overthrow? He was there to overthrow sin. They thought that in that moment that the scriptures were being annulled by his death. They thought in that moment that what happened to all these prophecies and, and it all pointed to this king that was going to deliver us and, and all these scriptures pointed, but look what happened now. The enemy won. It's over. It's finished. He's dead. How many of you know that it wasn't the scriptures being annulled? It was the scriptures being fulfilled. In man's eyes, it was a tragedy that day, but God's eyes, it was a victory that day. Isaiah 55, verses 8 and 9 says, My thoughts are higher than your thoughts, and my ways are higher than your ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my thoughts higher than your thoughts, and my thoughts higher than your ways. Now, I'm not saying that every hardship that we face in life, we should count it as a victory, necessarily. But what if we just had a greater perspective of God's sovereignty over every situation, what if we had a, a greater understanding that although I don't understand what, what's going on, I understand that his thoughts are higher than my thoughts and his ways are higher than my ways and I understand that he's sovereign and that he's in control and that he's, he has the greatest moment of history in his hands and surely he has this moment of heartbreak in, my, in his hands. That surely he has it in control. We had a, someone on our team who faced an it is finished moment last night. Jonathan. His clippers malfunctioned last night. And we just want to tell you that just because it is finished does not mean your hair is finished. That there is a future and a hope for your hair. It's going to grow back. We believe it. <laughs> Sorry, I just had to do that. I got permission. I got permission. Jonathan, do you want to walk down the catwalk and sport? Just make a trend of it. Just go for it. Just be confident. Come on. Jonathan. Jonathan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> He's going to start a new fad. Everyone's going to come with the stripe next week. Man saw Jesus as the victim. God saw himself as the victor that day. If anyone had an excuse to be the victim, it was Jesus. Because the Bible says that he made him who knew no sin to be sin for us, that we might be declared the righteousness of God. He knew no sin on that cross that day when he was being brutally tortured and murdered, and that blows my mind. He didn't have an ounce of hatred. He didn't have an ounce of bitterness. He didn't have an ounce of unforgiveness. My daughter was drawing crosses the other day, and she said, Mommy, I'm drawing crosses because Jesus died on the cross. And I said, That's wonderful, baby. But the moment that she uttered those words, it clicked in her mind that Jesus was dead. And that really messed her up. She was like, Mommy, wait, 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 wait. Jesus, Jesus died? He's dead? Wait, what happened? I mean, this, this man that we pray to every night, this man that we go to, 
for, for healing for our ouchies? He's, he's dead? She was so confused. What happened to him? It was this big surprise. Like, recently he died? <laughs> and I began to explain to her as much as I can on the simplest terms that he was beaten up by some men. And her first reaction was, well, he should have just beat them up back. <laughs> and I explained to her, actually, he forgave those people. Actually, he said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And then she goes, Mommy, I think we should pray for Jesus. <laughs> and I said, why? He needs to not get beat up so much. <laughs> She's so cute. I don't really like the song Crucified, and if that's your favorite song, I apologize. But it's like he's laid behind the stone, he's rejected and alone, and, you know, and it, it just dwells on the death of Jesus. And I think it's great that we can focus on the fact that he sacrificed, but that's just an incomplete story. That's my only problem with it is that it's okay to talk about that, but, but there's, a, there's a comma there. Jesus died on the cross, comma, but God resurrected him. But God paid my penalty. But God conquered sin and death. But God fulfilled the scripture. Jesus died on the cross, but God, come on somebody, he conquered the devil. He defeated the devil on that day. There's so much more to the story than just Jesus died on the cross. It doesn't do it a justice to just focus on the pain and focus on the suffering. Even in our own lives, in our own circumstances, in our own trials, it doesn't do it justice to put a period where God has put a comma. If we begin to put a period where God has put a comma, it's like stopping in the middle of hell. The worst thing you can do when you're going through hell is to stop. <laughs> you got to keep on walking and get to the other side. You might like to write your story like this. I got a divorce, period. But God says, you got a divorce, comma, but God was able to restore your marriage. You got a divorce, comma, but God was able to bring you another woman. You got a divorce, comma, but God was able to use your test for a testimony. My mom died, comma, but God, I'm using that comfort to comfort other people that have been through the same thing. My mom died, comma, but God has restored that mother-daughter relationship in my own daughter. My mom died, comma, but God has restored my dream of having a family a thousandfold, more than I ever thought possible. My mom died, comma, but God comforted me and came and answered my prayer when I needed him the most. There's so much more to the story than just the heartache. There's so much more. We can never let our struggle become our story. How many of you know people in your life who have let their struggle become their story? And maybe they faced one hardship or two hardship or multiple hardships, but then they just began to sit there and they camped there. They began to just camp in their hardship, and that became their story. And therefore, they just continued to face hardship after hardship after hardship because that was what they were expecting in life. How many of you know people like that? I don't know about you, but I don't want to become like that. I don't want to be the victim all my life of my circumstances. I would rather be like Jesus and choose to forgive those that have hurt me, and I would rather be like him and follow his example and choose to focus on the victory and not the pain. The Bible says that for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross. For the joy. 
that amazes me that he can look back on the cross at the pain and the suffering and he can refer to it as a joy. It takes a lot of maturity for us as humans to be able to look back on our trial and say, you know what, there was joy on the other side. And I don't know how God worked it all out, but he worked it all out and he works all things together for good. It's a joy on the other side. Though weeping may endure for the night, it is joy that comes in the morning. Amen. God is not dwelling on it. He refers to it as a joy. I believe that when he died on that cross, when he looks back at that moment, I don't believe that he sees it as I was flogged, I was whipped, I was scorned, the, the crown of thorns. I don't believe that he sees those moments. Do you know what I believe that he sees? I believe that he sees your face and 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 your face. I believe that he sees the faces of those that he was able to redeem that day, the faces that his blood atoned for so that we could be in right relationship with him. I believe that he sees the victory that was made on that cross so that he could spend eternity with his children. I believe that he doesn't wallow in the pain and the suffering. In fact, in John chapter uh, 16, verses 20 and 22, he actually compared to it as a birth. Let's just ch- flip there because it's right near where we're at right now in John 19. Let's just read it. It's so good. Just a few chapters back from where we were originally at there. I'll just go ahead and start reading. It said, I tell you the truth. You will weep and mourn while the world rejoices. You will grieve, but your grief will turn into joy. A woman giving birth to a child has pain because her time has come. But when her baby is born, she forgets the anguish because of her joy that a child is born into the world. So with you, now your time of grief, but I will see you again, and you will rejoice, and no one will take away your joy. (laughs) How silly would it be if somebody said, your son is so cute. He's just so lively. He's so passionate. He just talks up a storm. I just, he's just adorable. And I said, yeah, but you don't know how hard I had to labor for him. You don't know how painful that was, okay? I am the victim because I carried him in my womb for nine months, and I am the victim because I had to give birth to him. Thank God for epidurals, right? So the labor was little until the relief of the pain came. But what if, what if I did that? What if I just told you that, oh, it's just so painful. Yeah, but look at the baby. No, 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 no. I'm the victim. Look at the pain. Look at the suffering, okay? It was, it was hard. It was, it was the greatest trial of my life, giving birth to him. Yeah, but look at the baby. <laughs> I, would, I would appear to be insane, wouldn't I? It goes against us as mothers. He says, yeah, there was pain, but she doesn't look back at the pain. She looks back at the joy. I look back at that moment when I gave birth to my son or my daughter and the moment where they pull them out of the womb and they just lay them on your chest and it's just the most beautiful, just, my, my mother-in-law isn't even a Christian and she called it a religious moment, okay? So if she can call it a religious moment, you know it's a powerful moment. When they lay the baby on your chest for the first time, you get to see what's just been brewing inside of you for nine months. It's just the most beautiful moment. And then the moments continue to get better and better as they get older and learn to talk and learn to throw their shoes out the window and, you know, do crazy things. We can never let our struggle become our story. I don't know why there's power in death. I'm not quite sure that I fully understand it, but we see it in nature. John 12, 24 says, unless a kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies, it just remains a single seed. 
but if it falls to the ground, it produces many seeds. We see that in nature, that cyclical nature where something falls to the ground and dies, but yet it produces life. And we see it also in the spiritual with Jesus' death and when he resurrected, when there was so much fruit. He said, it's better for you that I go. It's better that the counselor comes, that the teacher comes, that can lead you into all truth. He said, it's better that this kernel of wheat falls to the ground and dies. I made banana bread last week. And the first time I made it, it was pretty much a disaster because I just made it with the regular bananas. The texture was off and the flavor was off and I didn't understand what I did wrong. So I called my roommate and I just said, what is your secret? I don't understand. And she said, basically, you have to let the bananas die. I mean, you have to put them in a paper bag, roll up the paper bag, and watch them turn as brown and nasty as they can possibly look. And then when they look completely unusable, you open it up and you take the bananas out and you mash them up and it makes wonderful banana bread. So I was like, okay, that sounds a little weird, but I'll trust you because you made some pretty good banana bread in college. So I did that last week and I, you know, I've made it before, but I, I just, I like to do that for my husband because he loves banana bread. And so I, you know, put them in the paper bag, rolled them up and every day I was kind of peeking on them because I couldn't remember exactly how long it took for them to turn that brown. I mean, they're brown, like almost black brown is what you need to make sure that they get to. And so I peek in, not brown enough yet, peek in, not brown. And every time I would peek in, it would hurt my heart a little bit because <laughs> I don't know if you're like me, I hate wasting food. And if I'm at a restaurant and I have two bites left, I will box that two bites up and I will take it home because I just do not like wasting food. And so it feels like you're wasting food. It feels like I am just monitoring the death of these bananas and they are slowly going downhill and I'm responsible. I'm just monitoring the heart rate, watching it go down. I'm killing the bananas. And so it, just, it felt a little uncomfortable, but I had to remind myself that there was some good banana bread on the other side of that, that, that I would be able to take those brown bananas and I was going to make something good out of them. And I believe that that's how God sees it. And whether it was your fault or the devil's fault or it was God that turned those bananas brown, it doesn't matter. I would just say don't even dwell on that. Dwell on the fact that God works all things together for good. Dwell on the fact that no matter how brown your bananas are, and no matter how unusable they look, God still uses it for good. God still has some really tasty, wonderful banana bread to make out of your brown bananas. And guess what? He knew it all along. I think sometimes we think that God's surprised by the things that happen in our life. Have you ever been tempted to think that? Just because you're so surprised that it happened that God surely must be surprised? When he's the end from the beginning, he's the first and the last, the Alpha and Omega, the, he knows everything that was going to happen to us. In fact, I, I, I can't wait to get to heaven to see all the things that he spared us from in those moments, to see all the emotions that he covered, to see his grace that came on us in moments when we needed him the most, to see all the, the things and the ways that he prepared our hearts for those moments, the things that we never even gave him credit for and we never will be able to until we get to heaven and see the full picture. I believe that he's monitoring those bananas, making sure that they're not nasty and fruit flies aren't getting to them. Their death wasn't unto nothing. And he's like, can I make some banana bread yet? Can I make some banana bread yet? All right, it's time. I'm going to take their hardship and I'm going to whip it up and make something amazing with it. I don't know how he does it, but he always does it. If you can look back on the hardest things that you faced in your life, I guarantee you can think of something good that came out of that. I guarantee. You can think of somebody that you were able to comfort because of that. Somebody that you were able to minister to. Somebody that you were able to share your story with. And, and they looked at you and said, thank you. 
they couldn't have made it without you. They couldn't have made it without knowing that somebody else had been through the same thing. Second Corinthians verse 1, chapter 1, verses 3 through 5 says, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all of our troubles so that we ourselves can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort we ourselves have received from God. For just as the sufferings of Christ overflow into our lives, so also the Christ, our comfort, overflows. You got to let your misery become your ministry, amen? You got to take that comfort that you received in that hardship and in that trial, and you got to begin to give it out to somebody else. There's a story, it says, Hours behind the runner in front of him, the last marathoner finally entered the Olympic Stadium. By that time, the drama of the day's events was almost over, and most of the spectators had gone home. This athlete's story, however, was still being played out. Limping into the arena, the Tanzanian runner grimaced with every step, his knee bleeding and bandaged from an earlier fall. His ragged appearance immediately caught the attention of the remaining crowd who cheered him onto the finish line. Why did he stay in the race? What made him endure his injuries into the end? When asked these questions later, he replied, my country did not send me 7,000 miles away to start the race. They sent me 7,000 miles away to finish it. <laughs> Your God did not send his one and only son over 2,000 years ago to die on a cross so that you could give up, so that you could stop in the middle of the hell, so that you could give up on your dream, you could give up on the potential that God put inside of you. He who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it. He wants to bring it to a flourishing finish. Do you believe that he has a plan for you? Do you believe that he has a hope for you? Do you believe that he has a great destiny and a great dream for you? Are you going to let that trial or that tribulation stop you right in the middle of your hardship, right in the middle of hell? The best thing to do when you're walking through hell is keep on walking. You've got to keep going. You've got to keep believing for the best for your future, that God has a great future and a hope for you. I have a short video that I want to close with. I believe it's a really powerful video that touched me, touched my heart. I believe it's going to touch yours. <laughs> but honestly, along the way, you might fall down like this. Ready? Hello! So what do you do when you fall down? Get back up. Everybody knows to get back up because if I start walking, I'm not going to get anywhere. But I tell you, there are some times in life where you fall down and you feel like you don't have the strength to get back up. Do you think you have hope? Because I tell you, I'm down here, face down, and I have no arms, no legs. It should be impossible for me to get back up, but it's not. You see, I will try 100 times to get up, and if I fail 100 times... If I fail and I give up, do you think that I'm ever going to get up? No. But if I fail, I try again and again and again. But I just want you to know that it's not the end. It matters how you're going to finish. Are you going to finish strong? And you will find that strength to get back up like this.
I could go ahead and have the worship team come back up. I love that man's testimony. Kind of takes our excuses away to play the victim in our circumstances, doesn't it? If he can have no arms and no legs and yet still press on towards the plan of God for him to be a motivational speaker, that amazes me. You could look him up online. Um, I don't know how to spell his last name, but you can see me or Camillo afterwards if you want more uh, videos on that. It's amazing. I mean, he fishes, he golfs, he swims. I mean, things that you just would have thought would be impossible for him. He does it all. It's just incredible. Would you stand up with me as we close? Just honor God for what he did today. I don't know about you, but I'm just, I'm so filled with gratefulness today. I'm so filled with gratitude that I'm alive, that I'm saved, that he died for me. I'm so grateful for my family. I'm grateful for this city, this weather. So much to be grateful for this morning, isn't there? Would you go ahead and bow your heads with me as we just thank God in this moment? God, we're so grateful. We're so grateful that you paid our penalty. We're so grateful that you conquered sin and death. We're so grateful that you fulfilled the scriptures, that you satisfied the law, that you rose again. We're so grateful, Lord. We're so grateful for your presence. We're so grateful that although we might want to give up on ourselves sometimes, God, that you never gave up on us. That the Bible says that you never leave us or forsake us. So how dare we forsake ourselves? How dare we forsake the dream, the destiny or the plan that you have given us? Thank you, Jesus.